Welcome to episode 64 of the Fantasy Alarm Baseball Podcast. We got things heating up. There's some Springer uh, rumors afoot. We have a Yates signing with Toronto, but we still want to lead off with things that have already happened. Uh, let's Before we get too far into this, let's get Matt Sells warmed up and welcomed into the show. Matt, how are you doing tonight? I'm pretty good. I'm getting warmed up here by the uh, increasing hot stove action that we've got going on. Took long enough to get here. Um, but we do have some, some kind of big moves happening, um, you know, kind of still trickling out. We're not getting multiples a day, but we still have some key signings and trades happening here over the last week or so. So that's nice yeah, to see. Absolutely. Some positions are getting filled down. Things are starting to happen around town. So, uh, by the way, make sure if you are not following Matt yet on Twitter, it's at the salesman S E L Z M A N on on the old Twitterverse, as Howard likes to say, um, our two-time FSWA award-winning writer for NASCAR, and he also does our prospect work and, and a bunch of other great stuff behind the scenes at Fantasy Alarm that you probably don't even realize, but the guy barely sleeps. So uh, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule here on Tuesday night to go over uh, another baseball podcast. We're going to try and keep this a little more streamlined and shorter than last week, so let's get right into things. Uh, uh, San Diego keeps stockpiling pitching. Uh, they've added Joe Musgrove. They dealt five people to Pittsburgh, and they turned one of them into somebody else, which we'll cover a little bit later in that three-way deal. Um, but the, the main focus here was Joe Musgrove uh, escaping Pittsburgh, going back to his hometown. Uh, he's going to bring, hopefully, the the strikeout potential he showed at the end of September. And how does this impact the Padres and especially Musgrove, who's been a fan tees for two years uh i think it actually really helps musgrove um i think he's a breakout candidate this year um if you look over um some of his stats from the past two years uh he had elevated velocity in the second half of i guess 2019 and his strikeouts really took off at that point and then he kind of got injured and so it killed his velocity for the start of 2020 and then after he got back healthy in 2020, he came back in September, and he was lights out. He was striking out everybody. He had better than a 12% or 12K uh, per nine last year. Um, now he moves to uh, a better ballpark, in my opinion, to pitch in than PNC. PNC is still pretty small ballpark. Um, also had zero offensive help there in Pittsburgh. And that's quite the opposite in Slam in uh, Slam Diego, as it's become known. So yeah, I think he's a really sneaky breakout candidate here uh, for this year, and he's going to be pitching basically no better than the third spot in the Padres rotation, but maybe even the fourth spot, depending on what they decide to do with uh, Chris Paddock or yeah, Denilson Lamette. Yeah, I'm not sure there's going to be any sneaky by the time. Uh, the, the discounts are already going. I believe the, the NFBC min pick got set last night for him at 109. So Yeah, there goes the sneaky value then. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, the only thing that could depress his value a little bit um, as, as we're looking at the uptick would be the possibility of A.J. Preller speaking today about a possible six-man rotation. Any thoughts there? I mean, this could help their quantity uh, or excuse me, the quality of their outings, not necessarily the quantity. Yeah. I mean, obviously if you go a six man rotation, you're getting less than 30 starts from them. So 
you know, we're not playing a full season. Well, probably not, but on the outskirts of hope that we can in fact get a full season, uh, you're going to get less than 30 starts from him, right? Which decreases his shots at wins. Uh, if you're in one of those leagues, it also means that, you know, you gotta, it's tougher to play him in weekly leagues because you're going to get far less, if any, double starts, you know, two start weeks from him. Um, but, you know, I, these teams keep banding about the term six-man rotations, but I don't know that I've really seen one that's actually worked over the last five years. Um, I think that San Diego has enough talent they can just roll with a five-man rotation. Mm-hmm. And if you come up with a schedule issue, you just get a guy for a spot start. Like a Morhan and then go bullpen yeah. day, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. Like an Adrian Morhone or um you know, they've got a couple other dudes that could come in. But I think they're five that they should roll with at this point would obviously be Darvish, Snell, uh, Musgrove, Paddock, and Denilson Lamette in some order. Now next year, six man rotation could be interesting because they get Clevenger back. And you still yeah. have basically all of those guys under contract. So, and Mackenzie Gore. So that's where it gets interesting. I think is next year. Uh, I think it's a good problem to have uh, in this day and age. Too much pitching is not a bad thing. Uh, as far as the Pirates go, I think you like Hudson Head going to this system. Um, Omar Cruz, a left-handed pitcher. David Bednar and Drake Fellows are both right-handed pitchers. Well, um, hey, you know. One minute ago, John Morosi tweeted, sources say Blue Jays are now front runners to sign George Springer. Two uh, Toronto-based beat writers have already reported independently that he has reached an agreement with the Blue Jays uh, pending physical. So it seems like the signing is imminent for George Springer to wind up in Toronto. Very interesting. So, yeah, and I do like... Morosi, he did put the two guys that we were speaking to off air before we started recording uh, as the guys that were saying that they they heard that the Blue Jays were making a move on this front. So we'll shelve that for a half a minute here and we'll get to that when we had it on the ledger. But interesting news. We'll, we'll just add that right into the Blue Jays stuff. So uh, staying with the Pirates, because I know you're the prospect guy for us. Hudson Head, uh, what what can he bring to the system and, and talk Colby a little bit off the ledge? <laughs> so he's a pretty interesting prospect to watch uh, for sure. Um, he was outside of my top 100, but I know everybody gets hung up in, oh, he's not a top 100 prospect. Okay, well, it does, not everybody's a top 100 prospect, right? I mean, by definition, there's only 100 dudes in the top 100. Uh, I had him about 120, so... On the cusp, um, he's got a plus hit tool in my book. He's got burgeoning power. I'd put it about, right now it's about average with the shot to be above average, so a 55-grade power tool. He's got nice speed, grades out about plus. Um, and he's solid enough to remain in, in center field. He's basically a, a left-handed hitting 19-year-old center fielder. Um, he's in rookie ball. He was taken in the 2019 draft in the third round, so he hasn't played much because, if you remember, they played the second half of the 2019 minor league season, and then there was no minor leagues in 2020, right? Mm -hmm. So it might take him a little bit longer to get back up to speed, 
um, excuse the pun there with the speed reference, but in 32 games in rookie ball, he slashed 283, 383, 417, had a couple of steals, a homer, and like 20 runs and 15 RBI. So he's kind of an all-around guy who's going to stick in center field um, and bring mainly hit tool and speed, and he, he'll he probably get you – he's got, like I said, burgeoning power. So um, in a few years, he could certainly be like a 20-homer – 25 steel, 285 hitter. Okay. So plenty of value that in this day and age. Yeah, the only reason he's he's dinged uh in terms of like prospect rankings is we just haven't seen a lot of him since he was drafted and now he has an entire year off basically, right? I mean, they're doing side work but not in-game uh, you know, actual real-time action. Um so that would be the only reason that he's a little bit lower is that there's some more experienced guys ahead of him in my rankings. Makes total sense. So um, another sidebar to this deal here was the Pirates received Joey Lucchese, but they decided to turn around and send him to the Mets and picked up a switch hitting uh, catching prospect. Now he was kind of moving all over for the Mets uh, prior to just being a catcher, but Pittsburgh says they are going to develop him there. Uh, can you speak a little bit about Andy Rodriguez for the Pirates as well? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to develop him as a catcher because, let's face it, we all know just how thin that position is in the majors, let alone in the minors. Um, it's hard to come by a good catching prospect, especially a guy with a really nice hit tool and uh, defensive prowess to stay behind the plate. Um You know, he played a couple of different levels of rookie ball in 2018 and 2019 for the Mets. Um, So he's still a young guy. He's a 20-year-old catcher. Catchers typically take a few years longer to develop because you have to keep in mind, not only are they developing the offensive game, they also have to develop, you know, game calling and, you know, how to call the game for the pitcher, basically, along with throwing guys out of you know, would be base dealers and receiving and blocking and all that good stuff. So the hit tool is there for him to be a high average uh, catcher. And what I mean by that is, I mean, a pretty solid batting average, regardless of position. Uh, He should be able to hit in about the 280 range because it's a plus hit tool. Uh, The rest of the stuff still has to come along. His power, um, mainly... Speed is never going to be a thing for him. Let's face it, catchers don't steal bags unless your name is JT Real Muto. Uh, but defensively, he's pretty good, and that'll keep him on the field um, to keep working on that that hit tool. So that's kind of what you get. Being a switch hitter is also nice because obviously there's no handed platoon that you could put him in because he's a switch hitter. So that's a nice get for the Pirates. Yeah, and I'm a little surprised by that one, but it's okay. So. With this move to the Mets, I'm thinking Lucchese has a shot. It's probably going to be him and Mats battling for that fifth spot in the rotation to open this season. And a sidebar question to that, this pretty much ensures, I believe, Seth Lugo's in the bullpen for the season. But this almost, to me, uh, puts that final nail in the coffin. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I don't know why you would need... um... Seth Lugo in the rotation because, you know, you've got DeGrom, Carrasco, and Stroman are locked in as your top three right now. 
And then when Syndergaard gets back, obviously he goes in the rotation. Um, probably not going to be till second half at best, because keep in mind he had Tommy John last March. So we're talking at least a year, and then he's got to get innings up and whatnot. So you're talking about at best it's going to be July before Syndergaard gets back, probably August. Um, so that leaves David Peterson, Steven Matz, and Lucchese to fight it out for the um, last two spots. Um, and so, yeah, I'd probably bet on Peterson making it. Um, and then whoever shows better early in the season, Lucchese or Matz, is going to get that last spot. All right. So uh, last podcast, we, we disagreed a little bit, but... Uh, at least you win the initial part of it because DJ LeMahieu agreed to stay with the Yankees, a six-year contract. Uh, to me, that insulates his batting average a little bit and obviously his counting stats. I still don't think he's going to produce the power this year like he's shown in the past. But um, for those that are taking in LeMahieu in the third round of 15-team drafts right now, it's a little easier uh, pill to swallow, correct? Yeah, now that we know he's locked into Yankee Stadium for the next six years. By the way, great price, $90 million for six years to DJ LeMahieu when he's basically won the batting title two years in a row and could have won an MVP one of those years. And yeah, that's a pretty nice, that's a pretty nice deal. Um, yeah, that, that ADP has, uh, me feeling more comfortable right now. Um, especially for a guy who's multi-positional. Um, I'm looking on NFBC's, website as we speak and his ADP is 28.8. Yeah. Uh, is, is he the, is he the Mondesi pillow? Like if you take Mondesi, do you take LeMayhew to, to buffer your batting average? I don't know if you can yeah. really do that at their ADPs, but. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it is tricky though. It is pretty interesting to see how they're going because Mondesi's ADP is 24.3. Right. But then you look at how high each one was taken the highest LeMahieu's been taken is 12. For Mondesi, it's 13. The The lowest that LeMahieu's been taken is 50. The lowest that Mondesi's been taken is 52. So they're basically going in lockstep right now. Yeah. Um, uh, that that may continue the same way. So that's I don't know. Tough to I do. would probably wait on... If, if I'm going after LeMahieu, I'm not going to take Mondesi. I'll put it that <laughs> way. Yeah, it depends on how you want to There's more... Team. There's more, um, in my opinion, there's more valuable shortstops than, than Mondesi. I consider Mondesi to be really a one-category guy. And uh, we'll, we'll see. It's going to be interesting with him. He's going to be a polarizing guy this year. Uh, staying with the Yankees, one-year deal with Corey Kluber. Now, the good news is, is that they do need starting pitching. And they also have the gentleman that's been in charge of Kluber's rehab, so they probably have some pretty good intel on how he's doing. So um, is, is Kluber bounce back tied to velocity, or is it just going to be keeping him on the mound? Uh, I think it's just keeping him on the mound. I mean, yeah, a little bit's going to be tied to his velocity because, you know, as these pitchers nowadays who basically sit there at 98 and go can you hit it no you can't i'm just going to keep throwing it past you once that velocity starts to fall they have to figure out a new way to pitch um and it can take guys a little bit of time to figure that out so i think for kluber it's more about keeping him on the mound 
um, than necessarily what the velocity is doing. Because if he's the longer he's on the mound, a the more worked out his arm's going to get, so the velocity may start to tick up. Or B, he's going to figure out how to get guys out without the top-end velocity he previously had. But let's face it, the Yankees' rotation is still pretty scary, in my opinion. Like, scary as in, like, I don't want to bank on anybody. Um, Not scary good, but just scary for fantasy owners. Yeah, they're going to be in some slow-pitch softball games. Yeah, I mean, Garrett Cole, yeah, obviously he's... He's Garrett Cole. Okay, but then you've got an off-injured Corey Kluber. Jordan Montgomery's still coming back from Tommy John, basically. Dievi Garcia, nobody knows how many innings you can put on that arm. Domingo Harmon still has baggage out the wazoo to deal with, and we don't know how many innings you can put on that arm. And, you know, the, woo, we get Luis Severino, who's still coming back from Tommy John, who isn't going to pitch till the second half, and then you probably have to have him on an innings limit, so... That's still a very sketchy starting rotation. Agreed. Uh, let's see. Before we get into the Blue Jays, one more. Uh, we had a closer deal, or at least pending closer deal. Uh, Archie Bradley signing with the Phillies, one year, $6 million. In this climate, that's really not a bad price, especially for uh, a bullpen that had an ERA over seven last season. Yeah, that was a hideous bullpen. Um, not even a Phillies fan, but that's terrible to watch them have to go through that as a Nats fan and having to watch it the previous year. I think uh, they had eight losses when they led games by at least uh, with with a three-run lead. They had eight losses. Yeah, that's not like you have to try and be that bad in the bullpen to make that <laughs> to make that happen. So you win um, half of those, they might have been in the postseason. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, Hector Neres is still there. I don't know if you can continue to trust him, really. He lost his grip last year with Workman in there. Uh, that's yeah. I think Bradley gets first shot. I if do, he too. Struggles, yeah. And Girardi is typically a guy that has stuck with a closer, mm-hmm. right, until they absolutely implode, and then he'll make a move. But it's not like his previous manager, Gabe Kapler, where you never know who the heck he's going to throw out on any given night, right? So I think that Archie Bradley is there to close out ball games and lock down the wins. And I think Hector Neris, if you put him in the eighth inning in a lower leverage situation, I think he turns back into the Neris we all loved in like 2018 when he came out of nowhere. Yes. Um, Toronto has two pending deals. So uh, news started this morning about Kirby Yates and then it kind of escalated in the afternoon. Then it got really quiet. Uh, and then he agreed in principle to a, a pending a physical with the Blue Jays. There's been a little disagreement about the the money. I've seen the guaranteed between four and a half to five and a half. Um, and you said somebody else reported it was up to eight. But um, the escalators could get it to that eight and a half million dollar range based on uh, innings and awards. But regardless of that fact, uh, Toronto added Yates to the bullpen. Now, I did see one beat writer who speculated that if Yates is healthy, he'll get a majority of the saves. But they also said that the Blue Jays like how the Tampa Bay Rays run their bullpen with guys without defined roles being able to get the outs as necessary in games. I don't know how to parcel all that information out, but to me, it's still between the lines reads. If Yates is healthy, he gets two-thirds of the saves. So are you interested in him? 
I am, um, because, um, you know, flashing back to 2019, you and I created that the relief pitcher metric mm-hmm. um, that kind of showed how efficiently guys were pitching. It took away all the noise of saves and holds and um, who was striking out who and whatever. And it was it just came down to how efficiently do you do your job that you're supposed to do, which is run prevention and getting outs in clutch situations. And in 2019, Kirby Yates was basically untouchable in that metric. Like he was, aside from lighting up the saves, which we didn't even take into account, he was just getting the job done very, very efficiently. So I think if the bone spur issue is taken care of, which typically a cleanup surgery does a really good job of doing that, mm-hmm. I think Yates is the closer for Toronto and they'll leave Romano and Dolise in the setup roles, um, getting to Yates. Um, they also have uh, Ryan Baraki has been pretty good in the bullpen. I think Merriweather is going to stick in the bullpen. So, yeah. They, yeah, and got, Chatwood they arms. added. And Chatwood, I think, in the bullpen can be better than he was in a starting role. So Yeah, especially if he's the long guy. Yeah. Yeah. So they have some, they have some pretty nice depth there in that uh, Toronto pen. Yeah, I think what we're I think what you're trying to intimate is uh between 2018 and 2019 Yates was 53 for 57 in save chances, 1.67 ERA combined in those two seasons with a 38.4 strikeout percentage and just over 183 innings of work. So, yeah. Uh, his split good. finger when it's on is nasty <laughs> and he should be able to to bounce back. So, he's another guy that the ADP uh when you look at it now, it's not going to really be indicative. Uh, you're going to have to parcel out the information from the point when he signed and the, like the next week after to get a better evaluation. He's he's going to be jumping up probably right up to where not above Karinchak, but right around in that range, I would say, in NFBC, which is around pick 105. Um, sp- staying with the Blue Jays here, we have to address the, uh, the elf in the room. It appears that they're going to be adding the uh, George Springer to hit leadoff for their lineup. Now this this lineup gets a little bit deeper, um, and and Springer is a good on base guy. So um, after a slow start in 2020, he turned it on near the end of the season and was hot in the playoffs. And I think that's a truer indication of his uh, actual ability. Uh, he gets out of the specter of Houston in this deal. So um, give me your quick thoughts on Springer, and then we'll we'll cover a couple other small things here. Yeah, Springer, you know, we we all basically know what George Springer can bring to the table. He's a very good leadoff guy. He's got very good pop, very good speed. He's going to play a very good defensive center field. So, you know, there's not much more to add to that aside from the fact that it's going to make Toronto's lineup really impressive because if you slot him in in the leadoff spot, you're adding him to a lineup that already had Kevin Biggio, Bo Bichette, uh, you know, Tiosca Hernandez, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Grichuk is pretty good. They also have a pair of young, good, good hitting catchers in Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen. So um, that's a pretty solid lineup there in Toronto that just got deeper, given what George Springer can can bring to him. Again, it's not an official signing, but there are multiple reports out now from uh, writers in Toronto saying that a deal is basically done just pending physical. So we'll have to see if that holds overnight. But it looks like a pretty good shot that George Springer is heading to Toronto. 
it's kind of funny, but I think this is actually good for the Mets because I don't really think they needed to add a center fielder. Uh, I think they can go address other areas of need if they're looking to spend money. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, for a while there, the Mets, the the knock on the Mets was that they didn't have like a true center fielder. They were playing some corner guys in center field, but now I think that they're fine in that in that particular instance. So I would tend to agree that I don't know that they actually needed a center fielder. Um, I think, yeah, I'll agree with you that there's there's better places for them to spend um, all of Steve Cohen's money. They're already trying to find a place to get Dominic Smith if there's not a designated hitter. So, I mean, they've got good problems to have, but there's bigger areas of need, especially getting a left-handed reliever and, and maybe one more guy to help shore up just in case they need innings absorbed in that rotation. Uh, the Angels agree to a one-year deal with Kurt Suzuki, but I think the shine's kind of off. He gives you nice average, but the counting stats are starting to ebb. Um, you know, he can handle staff well, which is good. I still feel like Trevor Bauer, uh, he's going to end up and is he, is Trevor Bauer going to end up in California either with the angels, the Padres. I know he's speculated on the Padres or Dodgers. Uh, you know, is he going to be the one of the last ones to sign? Probably. I think what he's doing is after, I don't know if anybody follows him on Twitter, but after every, uh, signing, he's tending to do those like googly eye tweets about ooh like this is enticing me or whatever um so first of all he grew up in basically north la he went to high school there he went to college with uh garrett cole i believe those two were in the same rotation at ucla if i'm not mistaken um so i think the dodgers are a pretty sneaky landing spot for trevor bauer because I don't know, I don't necessarily hear them bandied about as a landing spot for Trevor Bauer all that much. I think people just go, oh, well, they won the World Series. They'll be fine with pitching. And yes, they do get David Price back, but who the heck knows what you're getting in David Price after a year off. And, you know, he was pretty off injured there in Boston the last few years. So I think that the Dodgers could be a very interesting landing spot uh, for Bauer. Because, you know, yes, they have Kershaw and Bueller, who were both spectacular last year. And Julio Urias was also quite quite good in his own right. And then you have Dustin May, who may or may not, excuse the pun, uh, stick as the fifth starter. Because we all know what they like to do with their rotation. Because it might be Tony Gonsolin sometimes. It might be Joe Kelly in a spot start. It might be some, you know... Some other guy they call up for a spot start. So I think that they may actually really benefit from Trevor Bauer being there. And also keep in mind that Kershaw is a free agent uh, coming up here uh, in 2022. Not that they would necessarily let him go, but, you know, he's clearly not the same Kershaw that he has been in the in the past. So... Getting a longer-term guy to go with Bueller could also help him. But San Diego, they keep making all those moves. They're very deep in the farm system, very deep pitching staff. They'd be set up to win for basically like the next five years if they signed Bauer. So I think those two spots are the most intriguing to me for him to land. I'll have to see how that plays out. No, I, I saw mean, what, your what do you what, – 
what do you think? Like, do you think I'm off base with those two? No, I think, but I think the Angels realize they're, they've, they've really hurt Mike Trout. So I think the, the Moreno might make a push to get him. Yeah, I was looking at it too, but it, so if you're Bauer, right, and you have the chance to go home and pitch for one of two professional teams in your hometown. They can just give him LA. a big AAV for two years and give him an opt-out. Yeah, but like if you're you're Bauer, you're coming off a Cy Young season, right? You want to win a ring at this point. Who's better set to do that in the next two years? The Dodgers, the Padres, or the Angels? Oh, I totally get that. I'm just I saying, mean, the Dodgers obviously if, just won it this year, but like if it's about him and Boris wanting the, the highest AAV, it's the Angels. Yeah. I mean, I guess the question is, would the the Padres, ultimately, the question is, would the Padres be willing to go to $200 million in payroll to get Bauer? No. Because according to roster resources. You can't do that if you want to go, if you want to extend Tatis long-term, you can't do that. Yeah, so according to roster resource right now, their estimated 2021 payroll is $168 million for the Padres. Yeah, you can't do that. You know, based on the numbers we've seen Bauer floating out there, it's going to be at least $32 million to sign him, right? Which would put him, unless you get creative and you go, okay, eat it for a couple of years and then we'll blow up your AAV for the remaining three years of your deal or whatever and save some coin on the front end. And then when guys start to fall off, then you have Bauer and your young pitchers and Tatis. So there's creative ways to do it, but I think it's probably one of those three teams that he winds up with, um, either the Dodgers, the Angels, or the Padres. All right, All right. we're. I don't want to go too far here because we're. Cut, I think we're running over on time. So um, I just noticed in in the Baseball America uh, their rankings, they had Julio Rodriguez ahead of Kellenic. Now, the, I assume this is not from a fantasy angle. Um, so talk. Talk my Kellenic love off of the ledge. Um, well, it's only one spot. So they have you said they have Rodriguez ahead of Jared Kellenic. They had Rodriguez third overall and Kellenic four. Okay, so I have Kellenic two and Julio Rodriguez three. <laughs> so right? you guys so, are just flip flopped, yeah? Right. So I have Wander Franco one, Kellenic two, Rodriguez three, Torkelson four, and Mackenzie Orr five. Um if you really want to know my top five. So, um, I don't know. I, it was hard for me to start the podcast cause I was watching a video clip of Jared Kalinick hitting balls in a batting cage. And that guy's got a really sweet swing. He's also a lefty, which I'm partial to for lefty swings. Cause they just look nicer than right-handed swings for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, frankly, Kalinick comes up before Julio Rodriguez. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, they're going to find playing time for both of them. It's not that hard. Um, but the, the people got to be paying attention to the Mariners because they may in the next like two years may have the best outfield in baseball because yeah, it's, they're an I mean, interesting team. They just had the rookie of the year in center field and Kyle Lewis, right? And then you're going to go and add the number two top three prospects in baseball to that. Man, they're going to have a real good outfield. 
Yes, they are. So uh, just to break everything down here, we had some recent signings. It looks like Springer will be joining Kirby Yates in Toronto. So they're starting to put some stuff together to make a, to make a run at the Yankees and the Blue Jays in that division, or excuse me, the, the Yankees and the Rays in that division. So lots of stuff going on. Next time we'll try and get into a little more draft strategy with some KDS thoughts, uh, maybe some other prospect things that happen and all the other roster moves. So uh, like we said at the beginning, make sure you're following Matt at the salesman on Twitter. This is Greg Jewett, G J E W E T T nine. Uh, and as things are breaking, Matt, myself and others will be popping out those quick two minute videos to try and break things down fast and let you process the information. So until next time, be safe out there and make sure if you have not done so, get the baseball guide and your purchases on Fantasy Alarm so you can grab all of the information that's going to be unfolding in the coming days and weeks uh, in our living guide, uh, the Jim Bowden guide on FantasyAlarm.com. So until next time, we are out.